This is District Sentinel Radio, your newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We are broadcasting from a militarized piss town, a Washington, D.C., pretty much under martial law. Thanks for listening. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. Let's just get right into it. It's Tuesday, June 2nd, 2020. Here's the news. D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser got her wish. The early curfew she set last night laid the groundwork for more police riots. It started with the feds just before the 7 p.m. curfew. U.S. Park Police attacked protesters and reporters in Lafayette Square so the president can get a photo op at St. James Church holding a Bible. He posted the video on the White House Twitter. It's a perfect snapshot of 2020. The president starting a police riot for retweets. Church leaders condemned the president and said this was all done without their permission. On the local level, after curfew hit, a group of peaceful protesters were rounded up at 15th and Swan Street Northwest near the U Street Corridor. A local homeowner, a guy named Rahul, opened his doors and let the 70 or so people stay in his house until curfew was lifted at 6 a.m. They went home without being arrested. Rahul's property will be confiscated last. In another bright spot, score one for the good guys, a cop car was torched in Columbia Heights. Chances are this was done by people running from the violence that the police started further downtown. But in other more dark news, law enforcement, possibly the U.S. military, in fact, I'm pretty sure it was definitely the U.S. military, uh, they deployed a Black Hawk helicopter to hover low over protesters in the city to intimidate people on the streets. This morning on Capitol Hill, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi finally spoke out about the situation. She expressed dismay about what's been going on and tried to own a Trump by holding a Bible and reading a verse, which got him, Nancy. Then, of course, like a good mawkish bootlicking liberal, she scolded the uprising. I do want to quote my colleague, uh, Mr. Clyburn, a distinguished whip, Democratic whip of the House. He said this, firebombing police cars, burning down businesses, and ravishing our neighborhoods dishonors the lives of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery, and will destroy thousands of livelihoods. So this is not without concern about what uh, peaceful pr- protests can sometimes lead to by those who would exploit the situation. But it is about how we treat people. And again, across our country, as President Obama said the other day, many um, law enforcement people take pride in what they do and would not identify with the actions that were taken against George Floyd. Missing the point, as liberals often do, the bad apple theory is just fantasy bullshit. Cops act like the mafia with their blue wall of silence. It's the whole fucking point of these uprisings. Anyway, there's another 7 p.m. curfew tonight with D.C. holding elections tonight. We have the uh, presidential, the uh, Democratic pro- presidential primary on the ballot, plus a few important city council races. And uh, the ballot, the, the polling is, polling places are supposed to stay open until 8 p.m. after the curfew ends. So we'll see how that affects the elections, probably poorly. 
The Secret Service already announced road closures this morning around the White House, so chances are we'll see more police violence again tonight, courtesy of both the Trump administration and the shitty neoliberals who run D.C., like Mayor Muriel Bowser. Yeah, don't forget, D.C. residents, if you don't like the city being under military control, go out and vote today. You can uh, you can change that by going out and voting today. Well, <laughs> Pretty... it's, yeah, obviously liberals say that and uh, they're insufferable and shitty. But in fact, one candidate in Ward 4, Janice Lewis-George, endorsed by Metro DC DSA, uh, she supports scaling back police power and she has actually been viciously attacked for it including by a group called Democrats for Education Reform which has sent out mailers attacking her uh, basically using Trump-like tactics law and order shit it's been disgusting I voted for Janice on my absentee ballot uh, or my mail-in ballot and I really hope she wins. I really hope Brandon Todd gets humiliated uh, and ends up crying and shitting himself on a live stream somewhere. <laughs> well, speaking of the, the live streams, uh, pretty surreal scenes out of D.C. You mentioned it, Sam Knight. The, uh, it was military helicopters uh, that were engaged in, quote, show of force techniques against protesters in downtown D.C., hovering like 40 feet off the ground, uh, causing tree branches to break off trees, um, causing like broken glass and debris to whirl up into the wind. Just scenes of real, real dark shit uh, happening. And the police, DC police, just completely out of control. Like they don't have any control over the city. Um, as we saw when federal uh Authorities and military uh, cleared out peaceful protesters to, as you noted, give uh, the president his photo op. Um, not to not to discount any of the carnage that D.C. police were involved in. You mentioned the whole situation on uh, Swan Street last night, uh, where there were like a hundred cops in one residential block trying to round up peaceful protesters, and did round up several dozen of them uh, would have rounded up a lot more and according to a lot of these protesters uh, would have caused a lot more violence had uh, this homeowner Rahul not opened up uh, his doors but uh, the the DC chief of police was defending all that today uh, real scum guy but even the helicopters he uh, he couldn't defend he was asked about about the helicopters and the uh, DC chief of police was quick uh, to to say that those weren't his assets, those were federal assets, and that he didn't find them helpful uh, at all and would uh, advise them not be used again uh, in the future. Anyway, cops are helping spread the threat of coronavirus right now by kettling nonviolent protesters, gassing them, locking them in confined spaces with each other, on Tuesday, the Senate Judiciary Committee convened a pre-planned hearing into how federal prisons and immigration detention centers are protecting their inmates from COVID-19. So far, more than 5,200 federal inmates have contracted coronavirus. At least 64 of them have died. 
In March, Attorney General Bill Barr issued guidelines to fast-track home confinement and early release for detainees meeting certain guidelines. It was in order to reduce prison populations and reduce the spread of the virus. So far, only about 2% of the federal population has been sent to home confinement. That's roughly 3,500 people, which is fewer than the number of people who've been diagnosed with COVID-19 within the federal prison population. Thousands who meet the criteria for early release have been denied because the Attorney General also included language in his guidelines that prevents the home confinement release of inmates if they pose a risk of spreading the virus to the public. That has allowed prison officials to delay the release of hundreds of prisoners who are at risk from the virus. Yet at the same time, high-profile folks and friends or former friends of the president, like Paul Manafort and Michael Cohen, have been granted home confinement privileges. Senator Amy Klobuchar asked for data on who exactly has been released under these guidelines since the pandemic started. Here was Bureau of Prisons Director Michael Carvajal hoping the senator would just take his word on this one. Data on who has been not just impacted, but who has been released and um, their race, their charges, those kinds of things so that we are able, our role in Congress is oversight, and I, w I need that information. So tell me if we can get that information. Thank you, Senator. Um, our releases or our transfers to home confinement, uh, the demographics actually mirror our general population demographics, uh, which indicates a fair, a fair review and process. We, so do you have the specific pandemic data? I'm sorry, Senator, I didn't... The pandemic data, the pandemic data. For, for releases? Mm-hmm. I don't have the data in front of me, but I, I do know that it mirrors our population, uh, okay. which, which indicates I a, a fair... I, I'm not, I don't, we just have such limited time. Did I, did I get the data for the pandemic? Since the pandemic started, who has been released because of the pandemic? Yes, Senator, I don't have the specific data, but I'll go back. I'll take that back to and get with my staff okay. and see what we can get. Okay. Barely a handful of Republicans were on hand for today's hearing, but it appeared like they were all reading from the same script. Here were Senators Ted Cruz, Josh Howley and Tom Tillis accusing prison officials of releasing too many people. I think it is deeply troubling that we are releasing violent criminals into our community. Tell me this. Are we putting public safety at risk by accelerating early release of inmates without adequate resources to monitor those individuals. The original purpose of the program was to manage the spread of the virus, but to what extent have we caused other challenges as a result of the release? So I look forward to seeing that information come back. Bootlickers, each and every one of them. By the way, I know this is a podcast and you can't see it, but it's remarkable how bad Ted Cruz looks right now. Uh, he got that awful haircut from the woman in Texas who got on Fox News for defying social distancing guidelines a few weeks ago or a month ago or whatever. Uh, it's growing out and it just looks like absolute shit. Plus his scum beard, Ted Cruz, just looking terrible right now. I told Ted Cruz that he looked like shit on Twitter when he posted the video bragging about getting his haircut from that woman. And boy, did I get a lot of uh, angry replies in my menchies. I remember one guy was like, your soul looks like shit. 
Except he probably censored shit and did like S dash dash dash. Most people's haircuts get better as they grow out a little bit. Uh, Ted Cruz's awful haircut got even worse. <laughs> the coronavirus bailout is being overseen by an official with a large stake in the market for low-rated, high-yield corporate debt, so-called junk bonds. In 2017, Deputy Treasury Secretary Justin Muzinich owned a $60 million stake in his father's asset management firm, Muzinich & Company. ProPublica highlighted the ties today, noting that since bailout actions in late March, the company has, quote, reversed billions in losses, according to a review of its holdings. Like many Trump officials, including the president himself, Muzinich declined to divest his stake in his father's company, just handing it over to daddy during his air quote public service, sort of like how Trump's goofus sons are keeping the seat warm for him while he's in office. Treasury claims that the deputy secretary takes his ethics obligations seriously and that there's no decision he is personally making to enrich his company. And both Muzinich and the agency might actually have a point. They aren't bailing out his dad's firm specifically They're bailing out every financial sector sociopath simultaneously. Emergency aid administered by the Fed has been just an absolute bonanza for all types of Wall Street dipshits and large financialized corporations. Not only that, but it's a front-end bailout which has led to even more risky activity by finance dicks like Muzinich & Company, like the sort enabled by Muzinich & Company, as explained recently by The Intercept, The Fed guaranteed junk bonds on April 9th, and since then, the issuance of the low-rated corporate bonds has sharply increased. Maybe this is uh, an optimistic take on this, but perhaps this could get us deeper into the cool zone? The cool zone. The cool zone. Which, at some point, I believe, becomes the chill zone. While the news media clutches pearls over looting, barely a mention about how the IRS is letting rich people loot from the public treasury, letting them off the hook for not even filing tax returns. Treasury Department Inspector General report found that high-income individuals make up the majority of the tax revenue shortfall caused by non-filers. Looking at 2014 to 2016 data, The watchdog found nearly 880,000 wealthy non-filers who owed more than $45 billion in taxes. Here's how these non-filers were handled, though. According to the IG, quote, the IRS did not work 369,180 high-income non-filers with an estimated tax due of $20.8 billion. So for nearly half of them, the IRS just let it slide. The report says of the remaining 510,000 High-income non-filers, totaling estimated tax due of $24.9 billion. Well, they are sitting in one of the collection functions inventory streams, whatever those are, but ultimately, quote, will likely not be pursued as resources decline, end quote. Have rich people figured out that you simply no longer need to file taxes? Because it sure looks like they figured that out, and we haven't yet. The inspector general, in fact, found... Uh, nearly 50,000 rich people who reportedly didn't file taxes uh, in 2014, 2015, or 2016 
accounting for over $7 billion in lost revenue. Seven recommendations were made by the watchdog, uh, including calling on the IRS to appoint a senior official tasked exclusively with working or auditing or collecting high-income non-filers. The IRS disagreed with that recommendation, but partially agreed with the others calling for more resources and internal controls to better keep track of wealthy non-filers. Looks like we're all living in Leona Helmsley's world. The late hotel magnate once said of her class, quote, We don't pay taxes. Only the little people pay taxes. And that'll do it for the newscast today. Unfortunately, no haiku to read. Subscribe on patreon.com slash district sentinel to help support the co-op and uh, give us content in the form of haiku for the next newscast. But we do have some calls on the listener rant line. Let's check them out. Hey, I'm just uh, I'm calling from up here in Boston um, in some in some beans, doing some lobster stuff. I just want to uh, say I love the show, big fan. Uh, also want to point out that anyone who is angrier about looting or uh, even upset at all about looting, it's pretty sus. Pretty big time sus, in my opinion. I'm not sure I would trust a person like that. Morally, ethically, with my kids, very bad, very sus. You might say it's sus as fuck. All right, thanks. I agree. I wouldn't trust those people either. I don't even have kids, but uh, if I did, I wouldn't let them anywhere near those people. I would say that I would unfriend people on Facebook who finger wag or tear their shirts about looting or worse. But I've probably already unfriended all of them by this point. (laughs) Probably. All right. One more call to get to. Hey, guys. Uh, This is a person down in Austin, Texas. I was at the protest. Sunday night, and uh, just trying to make sure this gets out there. I uh, still have a little shock from it, but uh, APD killed a protester Sunday night. I have seen no local reporting on it, um, only a uh, tweet with uh, some video footage of protesters trying to save the man's life while APD continues to fire on them. Um, it was pretty brutal. Uh, from I was pretty, I was like 30 yards away from it. Um, I'm pro- completely unprovoked from what I can see. Uh, they unloaded beanbags, hit the um, hit the man in the back of the head. Um, other protesters carried him under the I-35 bridge, where medics, uh, our, our protest medics, uh, were doing their best, and uh, we called an ambulance and. When we tried to carry him towards the APD headquarters for help or to get down the street to uh, to meet with an ambulance, uh, APD opened fire again. Um, like I said, it was it was pretty brutal. Um, I just I just want that to get out there. And uh, once again, that was in Austin, Texas, on uh, Sunday night, May 31st. Um, yeah, thanks, guys. God damn. Jesus. 
That's yeah, uh, I haven't he- haven't really heard uh, that story. Um, definitely uh, something to to look up and look into. I'm sure the cops have probably like blamed this on the protesters already or something. But clearly, uh, based on the photos and videos I've seen from protests across the country, cops are using less lethal munitions, but they're using them in a way where they're trying to kill people with them. Yeah. I mean, we've seen multiple photos of people losing eyes, um, cops shooting fucking tear gas and and flashbangs at people, like, from point blank. Yeah. In the back of the head, like the caller just said, in Austin. And... None of them are going to be held accountable for this. Yes, exactly. Because it's all in the it's all like in the chaos of this this unrest. So cops are just given a license to kill, even if they can't use their like primary weapons. <laughs> well, people have long memories. I will say that people right. have long memories, and as I noted on yesterday's show, these cops have homes they go to. Yes, they do. The Rant Line, 202-684-6108. Leave a message. We will play it on air. That is the show for today. We've got a brand new chip chat on Wednesday. We discuss Antifa or Antifa, as the president calls them, uh, and uh, the, the efforts we're seeing from the Trump administration to classify Antifa as a, a terrorist organization. Thursday, we've got a brand new Means Morning News, and then we're back Friday with our subscriber, Garbage Can Show. We're here in D.C., so you don't have to be.